transformational change. Real people, real pain, real hopelessness, real healing. Witness firsthand the challenges that men and women from around the world faced head on and how through their adversity they became stronger and happier. Battling a life-threatening illness, surviving an abusive relationship, overcoming addiction, suffering the heartbreaking loss of a child, wrestling with self-sabotaging thoughts, losing and finding love. These are just a few of the transformational stories that will encourage you and change your perspective in chaos to clarity. A global voice of the contributing authors bears their souls for you. Their unfettered honesty is a gift to all and connects us to the butterfly effect of universal oneness. Just as the flapping of a tiny wing can change weather patterns around the world, a small inspiration may impart positively on another's life. The tears shed from these stories may make waves on distant shores, and your peals of laughter may become someone's breath of life. Change is part of the natural order of life. In this inspirational book, authors Caganello and Canavas offer their expertise on the spirituality and psychology of change and explain why change is not only necessary, it's good for you. Welcome to the heart of our shared humanity. Discover hope for the future and a blueprint for your life in these life-changing pages. I'm Richard Dugan, your host on this special edition, a month-long look at the book, Chaos to Clarity. The entire month is devoted to authors from this book to help you and encourage you. Stay tuned. This is Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. And keep this in mind. I have declared the year 2020, the year of perfect vision. So let's go from chaos to clarity. Let's go from change to perfect vision here in 2020. The entire month of January, stay with us here on Tell Me Your Story. Now let's go find out about change in chaos to clarity. And welcome to this special edition of Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. We are going to be talking with another one of the fine authors from the book, Chaos to Clarity, Transformational Stories of Change. And we encourage you to stay with us as well as go to the Sacred Stories uh, publishing uh, website, uh, sacredstoriespublishing.com, so that you can get your own copy. You can, I believe, even read a, uh, uh, a little excerpt, if you will, and find out more about uh, the uh, uh, the the uh, uh, program. We encourage you to uh, go to our website as well, and we encourage you to uh, uh, basically check out the podcasts, which are going to be made available one at a time as we are here in 2020, the year of perfect vision. And we certainly hope that you will participate in that campaign as we begin our conversation today with our special guest. She is one of the contributing authors to 
chaos to clarity uh story sacred stories of transformational change her title uh the title of her story is fortitude wins the battle connie uh bramer bramer is my guest connie bramer's my guest and uh, we're going to be talking with her in just a moment so we hope that you will stay right where you are Connie Bramer, I want to thank you so much for joining us here on the program for this special series of programs we are running all through the month of January of 2020. 2020 being the year of perfect vision, a campaign I declared back in October, maybe even September. I said, we have got to get our act together. We've got to get our vision straight and get our uh, get our sights set on the things that we really want for ourselves as well as for all of mankind. In uh, this program, Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms, for a new world trying to find those new ways of living and sharing those ideas with everyone and that's one of the reasons why we are doing this series of programs on the chaos to clarity a book that was released in uh, mid-november of 2019 i want to thank you both for joining us as well as for contributing to the article and your title fortitude wins the battle and uh there's a line here that i'm going to share with our listeners that i learned that Fortitude is a new necessity when you are facing tough times and that it comes from a deep place within. I have to tell you that that must be something I've been tapping into living here in Santa Barbara and for 13 years facing 14. Most recently, the the cave fire, C-A-V-E fire, uh, mm-hmm. that fortunately was uh, no more than a 24 to 36 hour fire uh, because right around uh, midnight or 1 a.m on uh, uh in that 25th or 26th hour we got rain and it uh, it doused i don't know that it is official that at that point it was out but all i know is i didn't see any smoldering of anything after that so um you know we had power outages uh we had evacuation orders that people were given we were fortunate that all we lost was power for about a day but it does take something and you say it takes fortitude. Why fortitude? Well, it's interesting because when I was in college, I pledged a sorority. And one of the words that we talked a lot about in our pledging, and I was just with my sorority sisters over the weekend, we were talking about it, is fortitude. You know, digging deep to get through what you've got to get through. And it was, it was in relation to pledging, which was now, when you look back on it, kind of a silly thing. But it was about, you know, finding your way inside to get your plate get to your place outside if that makes any sense so Mm -hmm. when i was ill with my cancer the thing that i that i talk a lot about by with having cancer is you're alone with having cancer so you can be a room in a room full of people but you're still alone with your cancer and i remember getting up in the morning and i was diagnosed just after my 39th birthday had a seven-year-old son and an eight-year-old daughter and had just recently gotten divorced that was my decision and I would wake up in the morning and the first thing I think was, oh my gosh, I've got cancer, you know, and I would get through the day and that's all I would do is get through the day. And then the ne- at, the, at the end of the day, at night, I would go to bed and I had been done being busy and I would sit and think, oh my gosh, I have cancer. And it was when, when that was happening to me for months and months, it was a thought that I tried to not erase, but push back and think of something else. So I would say to myself, Okay, well, I'm on a beach. I would envision all of these wonderful things to keep my mind off of what I was really going through. And I really found that for myself to be fortitude because 
I had to find a strength within myself to deal with my struggle that didn't affect my family, that didn't affect my treatment. It was a very, it was a very introspective um, journey for me. I mean, obviously physically tolling, psychologically tolling, but I really believe that I grew from that experience. So that's where I, that's why I say, you know, it, it, fortitude was a necessity. Like I had to really dig deep to find myself in that whole mess of cancer. I have to go back and ask you this question. Why was divorce your choice? And did this have anything to do with the cancer? Well, no, I was divorced before I was diagnosed with cancer. And I I joke about it. And I say, you know, in April, I had a 180 pound hemorrhoid removed by a divorce attorney, you know, and I laugh about it. And then a few months later, I had I was diagnosed with cancer. You know, there's a lot of research done that talks about, you know, having a a pre I had a precursor, I would assume, to having breast cancer. I'm the fourth generation in my family to have had it. The only one, you know, who's lived past seven years of survival. And actually, my mother battled it the entire seven years she was alive when she was diagnosed. But um, a lot of people re- have done research that there's stressors that take place that trigger a cancer. Like everybody has cancer cells. People don't know this, but every single person alive has a cancer cell in their body. It's just whether something tr- triggers it to proliferate. So, you know, some people, you know, my family has thought the stress of my divorce might have brought on my cancer. You know, who knows? Mm -hmm. But it was it was my choice to be divorced. It was prior to having had cancer. We just had a lot of differences. And if I had had if I had had cancer and I was married to him, I probably would have been in jail for killing him or something. I understand. I mean, I've been through divorce myself, um, and it's it's not fun, especially when you consider that uh, at that point now you have an adversary when you used to have a, a team member. Uh, and it is unfortunate, and I still remember what was said to me in regards to the process and how uh, the words were my words were thrown back at me you promised you would stay to which i responded yes i did then you got an attorney and it changed all the rules and um and and yet at the same time i still felt badly because the, the entire time we were together was not terrible and that's one of the things i think that we seem to uh take a look at our circumstances throughout our lives and your my matter of fact my second wife my present wife who uh we have a great time together and so forth she was diagnosed with cancer in 20 2001 and has been free and clear of it ever since wonderful um and we even started thinking about what you just said okay well where did that maybe how how did this start you know and so forth and i mean she even went all the way back to her uh with her ex-husband when they were in germany and a certain procedure that was done or a medical uh this or that or the other and on and on and on i mean you, you know and sometimes you just don't know you just have to say this is what i have and this is what i have to deal with and i've got to just i've just got to move on so it's very interesting to to uh, uh, you know to to be looking at those the the causal factors, if you will, uh, mm-hmm. and sometimes don't you just have to let that go? You know, it's like so. How is that going to change a 
what I'm going to choose to do about this. And then that's the other thing. And that's that's the basis of my book choices. Uh, when I asked my wife uh, before she went in for surgery, I said, I need to know, do you want to live or do you want to die? I may not like the choice you choose, but I will support you in whatever that choice is. And of course, she had already chosen. She wanted to live and has done quite, quite well, I must say. Uh, but what about you in that in that context? Was the, I mean, you, you've obviously been around people. You've known people who have gotten cancer. And this is what's interesting about this book, Chaos to Clarity. It seems like the majority of the people in this book, that was their major challenge. Yeah, well, it's a, it's a challenge for a lot of people, you know, and and and. I just I want to just go back to the whole divorce thing for a second. Not once ever did have I ever worried about the cause of my cancer. It was all I'm a, I'm an action person. So it was you're diagnosed. What's the plan? Like, I need a plan. I'm a, I'm a type A personality. What's the plan? So as a type A personality, it was very humbling for me to have cancer because I had to learn to accept from others that was one thing that was a challenge for me, but also to let go of not knowing, you know, that's a huge, I think that's one of the common threads of all of our, all the cancer patients is, you know, you have to have a letting go of the knowing because you don't know. It's like a, you live daily. And when I had my cancer, I wrote about it because my mom had cancer and it was, you know, basically like a dirty word 30 years ago. You heard the word cancer almost in a whisper and you immediately thought of death. You know, people now are living with cancer. So I did not, when I was diagnosed, didn't want it to be like an unknown. I wanted to tell the story of the journey in a first person format that infused my humor because my humor is what got me through, to be honest with you. And I laughed a lot about a lot of crazy stuff that I put in my book. So I journaled about my my whole cancer adventure, if you will. And every day or every couple of days, I wrote something in there. And then people wrote me back in that in my format. And that I didn't realize it at the time, but they were my support group. Mm. You know, yeah. I, it was very, it was very reflective when I when I went back, when, you know, one of my friends when I was done with my treatment and well, I stopped writing. And one of my friends, Renee, her name is came to my house and she goes, you know, Con, I really believe that if you put all of these journal entries into a book, it would help a lot of people. I think it would be kind of like a chemo or a breast cancer, or even any kind of cancer, kind of a, uh, an owner's manual, if you will. Mm-hmm. You know, like, how do you get through? Like, what's next? And I spent about a year writing my book. My kids were nine and 10 at the time. And I basically told them, listen, unless you're bleeding or dying, don't interrupt me while I write. Because, you know, as, as an author, you know, you have specific moments where you have these, you know, ideas that you want to write down. And when I start to write, it just like comes out of me like verbal vomit sometimes, you know, and I just would write for an hour here, here and there. It took about a year, about a year to write my book. So when my book came out, I had a book launch party and my book is called How Connie Got Her Rack Back. Because I was going to name it how Connie got her boobs back. But then I realized that probably no bookstore would ever put that in a uh, in a window, you know. So I, uh, you know, what you, what you dream about, come you can you can come about. And you have to envision what you want to have happen. So I changed it to rack, get your rack back. And I started doing events to help cancer patients. And then in 2015, I started my own foundation, Get Your Rack Back, to help cancer patients who live in the 518 area of upstate New York with gas and grocery gift cards and medical copayment assistance because families are actually having to choose between paying for treatment and putting food on the table for their families. 
And we just can't have it. Like that's, that's the biggest issue. So it's interesting when you talk about the main thread being the cancer patients in the book and that being their state of unrest in their life. A lot of that comes from the physicality of it, the emotional aspects of it, but also the financial aspects of it. So that's, that's one of the reasons why I started my foundation to try to ease that for other people. This story is very interesting and, and uh, fortitude is, is the, the key word there in that regard. Um, so what is it that, um, that you, you got out of that process overall? I mean, what was the, the real quintessential message that those experiences that taught you about fortitude, um, really put into clarity for you, especially when we're talking chaos to clarity, because obviously having cancers, it's kind of chaotic, isn't it? It's very chaotic because you don't know what's going on from one minute to the next. I I think the whole idea of, you know, fortitude, it just brought me balance. I, I guess like when I think about my cancer journey, I think about being in a constant state of being off kilter. And a lot of it was emotional. And when I was done with my cancer and really sat back and reflected, because when you're in it, you're just in it to win it, meaning to live. Right. So when you're done and you and you you're like, oh, your doctor says, hey, you're in remission. You're like, wow, that's just it's amazing. And then you go home. I remember coming home and thinking, wow, like I really could have died, you know, and I and I think it put a lot of my life into perspective. And when I say fortitude wins the battle, it's just the everyday digging deep to get through the day won the battle. You know, and then to reflect back on everything, I just, especially when writing my own book, I, I realized that it was very cathartic for me to release all of those things I was thinking. And that's what I did in my own book was just, just to release it. So when I wrote, when I was asked to write the chapter for Chaos of Clarity, I wrote, you know, a lot of the funny aspects of my cancer journey I talked about, you know, not funny, but in a funny way, like how you know, weight dropped off me like a, like a popsicle in the heat of summer. You know, I, 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 my body changed. There was, um, a lot of questions about, you know, my viability in the world, I guess, you know, I, I questioned in my, in that chapter, you know, who would want me, you know, after being divorced with scars on my chest and, and, you know, except it's hard enough to be single, but then to be single and be, you know, disfigured. Um, from having had breast cancer, it's, there was, it's been a lot of struggle in that regard. So all of that put together, you know, I came up with that statement fortitude because I thought back to when I was pledging in high, in college and, and that word and what that word really meant. And I thought that that really encompassed my journey. Mm. Well, it's a hell of a journey. I'll tell you that because uh, I mean, we all, we all have our own uh, deals that we got to deal with. And it's just really uh, extraordinary how each one of us uh, faces those kinds of things. It's it really is. I mean, I just uh, I can't say that I have ever had to deal with those kinds of issues. Uh, and maybe I'm fortunate in that respect that I haven't. But at the same time, you know, I sit here going, well, 
you know, I'm not dead yet. I'm sick. I'll be 60 in June. So, you know, but at the same time, I have to outlive my great grandmother who uh, lived to be 100. So, you know, I got another lifetime to go yet. So I'm not. I'm yeah, not, you, you, you definitely do. I'm not yeah. giving in to, to any of that at this particular point. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, but I, I know that, again, it's a tough one for every person to have to deal with because you just don't know what's, you know, what's coming up next. And it's one of those things where you've got to, um, you do have to make some decisions in that regard. Um, again, going to my wife's uh, situation, do you want to live or do you want to die? And and I remember when I first wrote that down in the in the thing, it was the question that I asked her. Uh, and then it, when I wrote it down and I was reading it, I read it several times going, wow, that's awful blunt. Maybe that's yeah. maybe it's too harsh, but... It wasn't presented to her that way. It wasn't, do you want to live or do you want to die? You know, it was was done in a very compassionate way. But um, it was was one of those things where I I needed to, it was my situation where I needed to know. I needed to know what she wanted to do. And um, obviously she shared that with me and it was fine. But um, everybody's got to answer that question for themselves in their own way, obviously. And, and obviously you did the same thing in that respect. So I'm just, I'm, I'm, first of all, I'm grateful that you did answer it in the affirmative. And I'm sure that, that, uh, the family is also very glad that you answered in the affirmative. I I think my kids are pretty happy. Well, you know, one thing that I did want to tell you is that, you know, living a life of gratitude changes your perspective on just about everything. And, one thing that I did throughout my entire journey, and unfortunately, my basement flooded a couple of years ago and the notebook was down there, so it was destroyed. But when I was diagnosed, I said, you know what, I'm going to find three things a day to be grateful for. and I'm going to write them down. So every night before I went to bed, I wrote down three things that day. It didn't matter how foolish, simple, you know, ridiculous the thing was. I wrote it down. Yeah. Three things. And, you know, and like one day I wrote one woke up two didn't puke all day and three had milk for the kids for cereal. I mean, it can be that simple. Yeah. Right. And then and then it grows to. Wow, I'm just so grateful that, you know, I spent time with a friend or I, you know, it just it changes it changes you. So I tell every cancer patient that we help with my foundation, I write them a personal letter. And we help all cancer patients, men, women, and children. So I, with all the types of cancer. So I write them each a letter and I ask questions from their nurse navigator about them so I can relate it to them. And then I always tell them, keep a gratitude journal and just write down three things a day. And I think everybody should do it. And I've gotten away from it. And I really need to, I need to get a new notebook and start back at it. But when you, when you do that, that's the last thing that you're thinking about before you go to bed. Right. Because that was the one thing when I said, oh, I have cancer. I'd lay in bed and say, oh, I have cancer. I would go to bed and say, I am grateful. I woke up. I'm grateful I didn't throw up all day. I'm grateful I had milk for my kids for cereal. So I was changing my mindset without even realizing truly that I was doing it. You know, it was just something that I needed to do to kind of find a balance in things because I had a patient that I knew. And we had mutual friends in common. We were diagnosed basically the same. And I would reach out to her and I'd say, how are you doing? And she would just, she was so depressed. She's like, I'm so depressed. I can't get out of bed. 
And she was just in this constant state of downward, you know, a downward spiral. Yeah. Well, I hate, I, I, I feel horrible to say this aloud, but, you know, her cancer proliferated. It came back and it came back with a vengeance. And we had been diagnosed with the same exact thing. And I really, truly believe that attitude plays a really huge role in any healing that you're undergoing, like anything that you've got going on. Mm -hmm. Your attitude is a lot of it. You know, medicine plays a part, you know, whatever your whatever you your faith is, that plays a part. But it's your attitude that really does play a significant role in your healing. And, you know, sadly, she passed away. And I just thought, wow, you know, I wonder if that negativity just charged it. So that's why I really am a, a big proponent of doing a gratitude journal because it sets your mind in a, in a positive motion. Well, I know too that um, as far as gratitude journals are concerned and so forth, that uh, there are people who have a real hard time. Um, and I, I struggled with this when I was journaling at the age of 21. I, I remember I was given a journal and uh, I thought, oh, this is an interesting idea. Okay, yeah, sure, why not? But then I found myself, and this has always been the struggle, and this was before the internet and doing stuff online and blogs and stuff, and I thought, well, yeah, but what if somebody finds this, and uh, I better make sure I don't say anything in here. That, And so I would be self editing myself and i and and i thought doesn't this kind of defeat the purpose of the whole thing because you're not really being honest with yourself so i kind of stopped doing that and i started really putting down what was really going on and i i began to realize you know what uh if you believe what you do believe about god the creator would have you and that he already knows everything anyway so what difference does it make if the rest of the world knows then put it down, you know, go ahead and put it down and don't yep. edit it. Don't edit it. Just be, just know that even if somebody did find it, at least they'd know that the, they would know that was the real you. Right. You know. Well, and you know, and I think the other thing too, like this whole book of chaos to clarity, which I have to say, not because I have a chapter in it, but it is an exceptional book. I mean, every chapter has a life lesson in it. And I, and I love that. It's just, it's been, it's, it's a beautiful book. I was with um, Patricia. I was honored at an event on Sunday. I was with her and I've never met Kat, but I've done a lot of stuff with Kat and such exceptional women. And they just found a way to weave this story so beautifully. And I think it makes it relatable to us. You know, like you saying that you're journaling, you know, what if somebody found it? Well, what if somebody found it? And it helped them with some situation mm-hmm. that they were going through because they're like, you know, I'm similar. You know, it's the same, same kind of thing with why I wrote my book. I wrote it to put my cancer in the backyard and bury it somewhere with a big bow on it. But instead, people have told me, you know, it's helped me get through my treatment or helped me understand my wife or whatever. It's about you expressing yourself. But what if you expressing yourself helps somebody else? Isn't that the greatest gift that you could ever have, yeah. ever get? Well, and of course, then I started writing the book about uh, my wife and how uh, the book actually is called Choices, Five Steps for Life. Uh, 
and the process I went through of creating those five steps for her. And I printed them out on, I don't know, 40 or 50 or 60 sheets of paper, and I put them all over the house. So it would give her something to stay focused on, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, just trying to help in that regard. But I also became something I never thought I would ever be, and that was a caregiver. And I didn't know what the heck that was. I didn't know how to do that. And it was hard. I, I couldn't yeah. I couldn't believe how hard that was, you know, and of course, some would say, well, yeah, but what she was going through was pretty hard. Well, I, I understand that, but we're not talking about her <laughs> and I'm not trying to dismiss what she went through because I'm going to tell you, you and I both know if you went through chemo, I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. I don't no. care that it might cure or get rid of the cancer. That is some awful stuff. And I know that she is still uh, 19 years later, almost 19 years later. She's still suffering the side effects uh, and the after effects from that that stuff. But she doesn't mm-hmm. have the cancer. So, you know, I suppose on the one yep. hand, that's a good thing. Well, and that is a true statement because I've had so I've had a little a small situ- autoimmune situation that I've had that's probably related to my chemotherapy. And and in the cancer world, you know, all of us cancer patients are, I should say, survivors. And, the, and I will say this, the minute you're diagnosed with cancer, you're a cancer survivor whether you're living with it or not living with it. Just that's a, I just need to clear that up. Okay. But every cancer survivor has that common thread where we always, with the statement that we always say, oh, cancer, you know, the gift that keeps on giving because there's always something that comes from something else. You know, yeah. you kill something, something else comes about. You know, like for, for me, one of the things I've had, I'm a horrible sleeper now. Ever since I had chemotherapy, I can't, I, I'm a, I have like insomnia, like it's nobody's business. Yeah. So it's, everybody has their own struggles and I'm, you know, I'm getting a handle on that. Um, and I'm, I'm working on meditating, Richard. I don't know how that's, <laughs> I'll, have let, I'll have to let you know in a few months how that's going. Well, now I'm I'm curious about, uh, you, you say also in the, uh, in the story, you say cancer is not isn't a scarlet letter to you, uh, mm-hmm. Connie uh, Bremer. It is a badge of honor. Explain that. Well, I think, you know, I'll, I'll give you an example. I was one of my friends who actually was recently diagnosed with cancer. When I had, when I was ill and, and I had um, no hair, I had a little pink cap on. And we went to Panera for dinner with my, with all of our kids. And I said to her, I go, she had, go, do you think anybody knows I have cancer? You know, cause I, you don't want to look like you have cancer. You know, it's the one thing like a cancer patient doesn't want to look like they have cancer. Right. <laughs> I mean, honestly, like you do anything you can. So you don't look like you have cancer, but I wore the cap cause the wig was just hot and it was hurting my head because your head hurts when you have no hair. So I wore the cap and I, and, and she goes, con, I think people like they know. And I thought about it and I thought, wow, everyone's looking at me like I have the scarlet letter. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and you kind of feel that way. Or, you know, I'll give you a little example. I used to I used to despise it when people would come up and say things to me like, oh, you'll be okay." Um, You know, like if I wore a scarf or something. So I never wore scarves. Cause I made myself look like a swami and I did, it didn't work out. I was, I looked, I looked absolutely ridiculous, but it put a target on me. If yeah. I wore a wig, no one knew. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. that I think about that day where I wore the little cap with no wig on and I, people would see me and say, that chick's got cancer. I was skin, skinny, you know, really white and pale. And, you know, I was bald. Mm-hmm. 
So to me, that was you people, you know, I felt like at the time it was a scarlet letter. It's not. I feel now when I see people, I'm like, you know, you go girl or you go guy, you're doing all right. And I actually never approached anybody. And I did it just a couple months ago. I saw a woman sitting in a car, I went to get ice cream at this place. And she was sitting in her car with the window rolled down and she had like a little straw hat on and she had no hair on. And you could tell like she had no eyebrows, no eyelashes. And I went over to her and I said, you look amazing in that hat. And I said, I hope you are doing well. And then it just opened a conversation. And then she said, you know, I am. And and I, and I said, I've been there, you know, because, you know, if you look at me, no one would know on the outside I've ever had cancer. No one would ever know. Like I look normal. Right. So mm-hmm. no one would know. Yeah. And and I said that to her and I remember thinking I, I said to her, I go, I never go up to anybody because I know that I didn't want anyone to go up to me because I didn't want anyone feeling sorry for me. You know, I said, but I just want you to know you look radiant and wonderful in that hat. And her husband came over to me afterwards, like he walked around. I don't even know these people. And he goes, thank you for saying what you said to her. So it made me feel good to do it. And I'm happy that I acknowledged it with her. But being on the other side, I never wanted anybody to do it because I felt like it was a scarlet letter. So that's what I meant. It's, it's, you know, not a scarlet letter. It's a badge of honor because I made it. And for those people who are living with cancer, they're making it too. And I know lots of people that are living daily with cancer and they're, they're doing it, you know? So it's a badge of honor. Let me ask you about another aspect of all of this that my wife unfortunately suffered through. And I know that it happens, especially with what you just described and it's extremely, um, it's extremely frustrating because it hurt her deeply. And that is the departure of close friends. She was working with a gal uh, prior to her diagnosis, and they became fast friends. I mean, they were closer than sisters. Mm-hmm. And of course, her friend had told her this story about her mother who had uh, gone through cancer and had passed. And so Amrita gets uh, diagnosed. She goes through the process of the the surgery and then the chemo. And I I can't remember if it was October or November uh, as she was doing the chemo. And this girl just disappeared. Yes. Without a trace, without a word, without an explanation. Mm -hmm. And my wife still, every once in a while, she'll go back to that. Tears will flow. And she just wants to know why. Why? Well, I had a similar situation and I will tell you this. I have learned that when you are facing difficult times in your life, no matter cancer, whatever it is, you really find out who your friends are. And I had a neighbor across the street from me who our kids played together constantly. We always did dinners together, like Friday nights, our families would get together. We did all these things. I got divorced from my husband. I was still in the neighborhood. And my kids were still going over there to play and hang out. And then I'm diagnosed with breast cancer. And, you know, she was a person who cooked all the time. And I thought, you know, she could have offered to say, hey, let the kids come over so you can rest. You know, let me make them dinner. Let me give you some, let me make you dinner. What can I do for you? 
And that's what I was hoping. I mean, I wasn't even hoping. I just was expecting her to help me because she was my friend and she just disappeared off the face of the earth. Like I had, and not to be, you know, gross, but like I had the clap or that was a leper or something. Yeah. Like just disappeared into the night. Yeah. And, and, and that hurt me so much. And to this day, like I'm still, we're still no longer, we're still not friends. And I, I don't get people, but you know, I guess some people aren't strong enough to be there for people and that's on them, you know? And I, I decided pretty early on, you know, not my circus, not my monkey. (laughs) I did. That's like my say. I have not heard that before, but there you go. Yeah. Not my circus, Uh, not my monkey. if, If she, if she can't deal with that, and, you know, God forbid something happened to her, right? How would she feel if people disappeared? You know, that's, I think if people have to look at things, put the shoe on the other foot. Mm-hmm. And they don't do it enough. Yeah. You know, I just read this great article I posted on my Facebook page yesterday. And it was about, you know, people are going through hard times. Don't be a jerk. It was a great article. And it, it, it's just... You don't ever know what anybody's going through. And I will say this. My journey has taught my children to be such caring people. I'm so proud of that. I mean, if that's the one exceptional thing that came from my horrible journey is that my kids are more compassionate people. And they, you know, I said to my son one time, you know, you never know what somebody is going through. Right. I said, because people don't know what I'm going through. A lot of people don't know what I'm going through. I have my wig on. I look normal, you know, and I he said something to me, you know, this is many years ago, probably, you know, seven years ago. We went to um, Walmart or whatever, and there was a really nasty clerk. And my son, Alex, said, Mom, she must be having a really bad day. And he, wow. and he, so, so he goes, I'm going to ask her how she, you know, I'm going to say hello and be nice. And that is a huge lesson that so many people never get. And it's like the people that, you know, disappear from your life. They don't know what that's like to be on the receiving end of that. But I know how painful that is. I feel for your wife. I, I, it, it was very upsetting to me, but on the, on the complete opposite end, people emerged in my life that I had not known well, that stepped up to the plate and were there for me like nobody's business. And my friend Renee, the one I told you about that told me to write the book, she and I didn't know each other well. And she lived in my neighborhood and she drove by one day and I was out getting my mail. And she heard, like everyone in the neighborhood had heard that I had been diagnosed, you know, because the kids are all friends. And she said, you know, if you need anything, you let me know. And I'm a very prideful person. I'm always a doer for others than having them do for me. So I said to her, you know, I have to go to the oncologist tomorrow. Would you like to go? And so she took me and we have become, we are like the best friends. So it's a 10 year journey that I, that I was on, you know, since my cancer and we're very close friends. So some people emerge who are remarkable people. And, and, and in that same vein, I will say that when you are diagnosed with cancer of any kind, it throws you into a club of sorts. You know, I, I call it like my sorority for my breast cancer friends. It's like a sorority that you, you pledge in a way by not pledging, like you just are in it. Like you just get diagnosed in it. 
And instead of drinking alcohol and dancing on tables and, par- and partying, you're getting chemotherapy and poisonous potions and surgeries. But there's a lot of camaraderie there. Well, I'm sure your wife can attest to that. Yeah, it's not a club you want to join, but uh, right. once you've been diagnosed, you're now a member. And yeah. I know, too, that even as, again, I struggled as a caregiver and, and felt badly about it because... Uh, around November that year, uh, I was just feeling wiped out. And I mean, I was still working full time, obviously. Yep. And I said, I, I I, have a buddy in San Diego. He wants him to come out and visit him for the weekend. Well, we had a little conversation about that. And she says, well, if I let you go, I will I will uh, revent, uh, uh, resent you for the rest of your life. And if I don't let you go, you'll resent me for the rest of your life. Uh, needless to say, I went, and she doesn't, because we have we've worked through that. But it's one of those situations where, you know, the people that are there for you, and it's great when they are, but at the same time, uh, that's got to be tough to yeah, acknowledge well, that. You know what you you need a break. I, I know uh, this is trying on you as is it as it is on me, but I I don't want you to 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 suffer uh, ill health. Uh, and so forth. Right. Well, you know, that's one of the things I talked about with one of my provider offices the other day about doing like an educational series for caregivers on, you know, how to refill their cups. You know, how do you refill your cup when you're a caregiver? How do you step away? How do you get a break? How can you, can you work with a respite company or, you know, all these different things we were talking about because that is a huge issue because you have to take care as a caregiver, you have to maintain your own health. And when you're giving everything that you have to somebody else to care for them, you're neglecting yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I know again, it is, it is not an easy road for anybody to go, whether you're going through it, you're yourself or you're with someone who's going through it. Uh, It's, it's not fun. And yet at the same time, it shows, it really does show um, what people are made of in that respect, uh, and and again, not to not to put anybody down for feeling like you know I can't do this. Okay, then what you need to do is you need to find someone that can help you, uh, that can support you in this process. Maybe maybe they can come in and uh, they can uh, uh, you know uh, spell you for a few hours. Right. Right. You know, that kind of thing. So I know that it's, like I said, it's it's one of those things that you just, uh, you do, you have to find a way to, to make it through because you want to help this other person. I mean, it's just not, it's not a, a selfish thing. It really is. I, I do. I, I want to help my wife to get through this. Um, and I don't want to, I don't want to die in the process, you know? Right. So yeah, it's, it's tough. Now I'm curious about your, your family. Obviously your children were there, but, um, uh, I didn't have any fa- My family doesn't live here. So. Oh, so you literally were going through this alone by yourself yeah. physically. Yeah. yeah oh. pretty, pretty much. My, but you know what? I'm okay. Like I, everyone's like oh poor Connie but you know what my friends were there for me um I was dating someone at the time who was like you know I had known for years he was like in and out when he felt like it which was kind of a that was an issue but um yeah I was in it to win it by myself 
for my kids, for me and for my kids. So my friends help me with meals. My friends help me with, um, which was my one friend from high school had meals sent to me. Like my doorbell would ring and, you know, somebody, you know, whatever takeout place was available was was there to give me food for my kids, you know, after I had chemo, which actually was the impetus for my, my foundation. Cause I wanted to help people with food because food's so critical. No one wants to cook when you're sick. So um, my friends helped me. My friends picked my kids up from after school program. Some helped them with their homework when I was not feeling well, but I strategically planned my chemotherapy so that they would be with their dad when I was ill from my chemo. Yeah. So my kids to this day don't realize how difficult my journey was because they weren't there when I was really when it was awful yeah you know they they were they I mean it was awful the whole thing was awful but I hid a lot from them because they were little and I didn't want them to you know fear me dying and I think the biggest problem I faced was telling them yeah because my mother had died of breast cancer they knew it I talk about I talked about my mother my mother died 23 years ago my my oldest is 19 she never saw me get married. She never saw me have kids. So they never knew her, but I always kept her memory alive. And they, you know, they'd be like, well, you know, what happened to Grandma Jackie? And I would tell them what happened to her. So when I had to tell them I had cancer, breast cancer of all things, I thought, oh my gosh, like, how am I going to pull this off? You know, yeah. but I did and, so, and they're okay. Yeah. Tell me about your fate. What, what did you, what did you have growing up? And what did you have when you were hit with this uh, <laughs> badge of honor? Well, I grew up going to church every Sunday as a Presbyterian. So um, we would go to church every Sunday. I did Sunday school. I did all of that. And then, you know, went off to college, rarely went to church. You know, we remember there would be like, oh, come on, we got to go. For, come on, we got to go. We got to go. So we got, I got away from it. I'm a, you know, I'm, I don't mean to offend anybody. I'm not a huge church goer and I don't want to be like deemed one of those people that only shows up in Christmas that everyone, all the priests always say, Oh, we got our, you know, our Christmas people here today. But I, I go sometimes I haven't been in a while. I feel like I'm more spiritual. Do I believe in God? Absolutely. Do I believe in something bigger than me? Yes. But when my mother passed, I struggled with that. Because I saw my mother have the most difficult journey with breast cancer. Actually, I've only seen one other patient that I've had that I lost recently at the age of 26, whose journey was as bad as my mom's. So it made me struggle with, you know, why would someone do this to my, why would, if there was a God, why would he take my mother from me? Like, why would he or she not allow my mother to live a full life being the exceptional woman she was. I mean, my mother, my dad always says my mother was an angel on earth and she truly was. There wasn't a person in this, on the world that were that didn't love my mother. She was just, a, she was very funny. She was charismatic and generous and kind and everyone loved her. So I really questioned my faith then. And um, it took me a while to, to go back to a church like yeah. years, I, I, you know, I'm just telling the truth. It took me years to walk into a church. And I, when I go to church, sometimes I just cry. Well, I, I don't blame you. I, I guess my, uh, my mother did me a great service 
uh, from that standpoint. When I was 16, I was a paper boy, and I would deliver the Sunday morning paper, huge thing, go out there early in the morning and do what was needed to be done, and uh, come home, go back to bed, and not want to get up until maybe 11 or 12, and mm-hmm. definitely did not want to go to Mass. Right. So one day... Um, one day I, uh, <laughs> I was laying there and my wife says, okay, it's time to, uh, my wife, my mother came in and said, it's time to go to mass. And I said, uh, I really don't want to go. <laughs> uh, and, um, she says, okay. And I was like, wow. Okay. And I went back to sleep. Well, a few years later, I, uh, I asked her about that. I says, why did you do that? She says, because I didn't want you to push away from the church, which I never did. Right. I never have. I'm not a practicing Catholic anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'd like to jokingly say I got it down so I don't have to practice anymore. I've got it down, <laughs> down pat. <laughs> That's a good one. Um, and, uh, 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 but I love the ritual, the tradition, the ceremony, that whole thing. I will go to a mass, uh, maybe an Easter sunrise or Christmas or New Year's or Thanksgiving or some other special day, that kind of thing, because I still love that aspect of it and the mysticism, the mysteries in that, in that, mm-hmm. in that respect. Uh, so I can certainly appreciate um, where you're coming from in terms of saying, ah, no. Um, and 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 so I, I, you know, my mother has just been. It's like uh, this totally different person who is so open to different ideas now, and as compared to when I was, uh, was I fifteen? And uh, we lived next door to a family of Mormons, LDS, mm-hmm. and yeah. I was curious. I wanted to see what that was all about, so I went to the church service at ten o'clock. And I came home and my mother says, well, that's all fine, well, and good, but that doesn't count. You still have to go to mass. (laughs) (laughs) And that's okay. And I went. Mm -hmm. But I guess we all have to find our own anchoring uh, anchor uh, in that regard. Did you have to, uh, did you feel the need to uh, 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 seek out a support group? cancer survivors or something of a group like that or start one so that at no. least no 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 and i'll tell you what is a very interesting statistic when i did start to go and i went briefly um it was more to be encouraging to others who were just about to embark on the journey than to you know, get support for myself, if that makes sense. Like I went to a support group with, you know, five newly diagnosed people and the ones of us who, you know, we say have made it to the other side, you know, for lack of a better phrase Mm -hmm. would just be encouraging of those who are coming through now. You know, it's like, I don't even want to say it's like a teaching, right. But it's a support of them is really why you why I went and come to find out the American Cancer Society uh, did has a statistic that and I it was a while ago that I was told this but the majority of people who you know women men with have had cancer don't seek out a support group until they're three years out from their diagnosis and I thought about that and I thought you know that that's interesting because that kind of held true for me because it wasn't as a support for myself so much as it was for me 
to just tell someone that they're going to be okay. Mm. So the newly diagnosed people need the people that come back, you know, so it's, we're all on different, we're all on different parts of the field. Yeah. Right. You know, so everybody had a different story. I don't go and talk about it all the time. I mean, I, I guess I talk about it a lot because of my platform of my foundation. I help cancer patients. I've got an event next next uh, Saturday night and we have our Christmas stocking drive. We've so far in the last four years, we have our fifth one next weekend and we've stopped and delivered over 1500 holiday stockings to children affected by cancer in my area in the last five, four years. So, you know, I talk about cancer because it's what I do. But as a normal person having cancer, I have a girlfriend who has had breast cancer. She doesn't want to talk about it. Like she doesn't even want to do any walk. She doesn't want to be involved with anything because she just wanted to put it behind her. And there's a lot of people that are like that, you know, so it's all, it's very individual decision. Mm. Well, I'll tell you, it's, um, it's, it's, it is important to, to find those things that get you through those, those challenges uh, in life. Uh, I yeah. remember, um, and I still remember it was July of 1995 and I noticed that my right eye, I was, the, the vision was kind of diminishing now. And, and I went into the ophthalmologist and he said, cataracts. Well, I was born wow, with, really? I, I was, well, I was born with cataracts nystigmus, and nystigmus and oh. nystigmatism. <laughs> I was actually born legally blind. And so, um, I go in there and he says, okay, well, we can do one of two things. He says, we could uh, wait and see if these dissolve on their own, which I'm sitting here thinking, uh, wait a minute, that's why I'm here, because they're not. Or he says, we can can, uh, do a lens implant, but I will tell you that you have a 50-50 chance of losing your vision. I says, well, then let's do it now so that uh, I can start my adjustment period if that were to happen. Well, it wasn't until March of the following year that I had the surgery, and I've been I, now I'm driving, which is like wow. Uh, wow! I remember when we moved from Phoenix uh, in a caravan, as it were. My wife was uh, driving our Subaru uh, with a U-Haul trailer behind it, and I was following behind in a rented van with uh, two dogs. Was it one or yeah, two dogs in the van and a bunch of stuff? And the next thing I know, it's like uh, seven or eight o'clock at night. Um, it was actually May 8th and we're driving through LA and I'm looking around going, Oh my God, I'm actually driving through LA traffic. And it was just, it, you know, it wasn't like, Oh, will you people get out of the way? It was like, wow, this is amazing. Listen, just not, no offense to you, but pretty much probably anybody I know I would be saying to myself, Holy crap, I'm driving through LA. Traffic. <laughs> <laughs> see it or not see it. Holy crap. Uh, but I it have, was, dri- I have, dri- listen, I have driven in LA traffic. It is not the best, and I've driven no. in New York, City, New York City traffic. It's not the best either. But to be in a position to even be Absolutely. able to do that was, of yeah, course, my exciting. my yeah. my excitement there. So you know, we you know, I I and I never looked at my blindness. I mean, I could get around. I was bicycling all over the place. Like I said, I would deliver newspapers and the whole thing. Yeah. Um. But I never. Um, uh, I never looked. I, I matter of fact, I finally came. I came up with a phrase probably in my late teens that better uh, epitomized what it was, and that was uh, that it was a perceived limitation. Mm-hmm. And that's so a, that's a great that's a great phrase it for does, that. Yeah, and Ooh. it doesn't matter 
It does not matter right. what you are going through, uh, what the issues are. It's only mm-hmm. a limitation to moving forward if you choose to make it one. Right. You know? And at right. the same time, I know just because I watched my wife go through the things that she went through, <laughs> you're not feeling real optimistic when you're feeling the way you do after a, a chemotherapy session. True. You know, so it's True. not like you, you know, okay, yeah, sure. Okay. It's perceived limitation and I'll, no, you're, you just, it, you know, it's like when you have the flu, it's like, you don't want to do anything. You don't want to hear from anybody. You don't want to talk about anything. you, you metaphorically you just want to die well you know what i i was speaking to a patient last week and you say patient patient as in a patient that my foundation helps i cancer and i was we were talking about the months of chemotherapy ahead for her and i said you know this is how i thought about it i oh i thought about it in terms of it having you know obviously an end date a deadline right so i would i said to her i go you know i always think about things in terms of like like taking one piece of the you know eating one piece of the elephant at a time my mom always used to say okay but like if i had to write a 35 page paper right and i had six months to do it i did it the night before (laughs) (laughs) we've all been there okay (laughs) So, and come to find out my daughter who's a sophomore in college does the same thing. She's just like your mother. But I would say to her, like that had a deadline, right? Yeah. So you knew, like, let's say, uh, whatever it was, December 25th, you knew the stress of the, that paper hanging over your head was over. Yeah. And on the 26th, you were home free, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So you do the same thing when your chemotherapy and all your treatment is, is, is lined up. Cause it's, you know, once you find out, they're like, okay, you're having it this week. Then you're having it every other week for four months or six months or whatever it is. You can use a calendar and figure out that end date. Right. So knowing that the 26th, the 25th is the end. You start planning something that you are so thrilled about being able to do or be part of for that following week or two weeks after you have something to look forward to. So like I always, and I was telling her this every other week I would have my mid counts done, like my blood work done to make sure everything was okay. And one week my doctor said, look, your white blood cell count is okay. You probably can go, you know, kiss a bunch of veterans on the cheek, you know, with a mask on your face. Right. So you're not going anywhere. So, like normally it was good. So when I did have good reports, I would have coffee I'd have like a coffee date with a bunch of friends. And I was so looking forward to that. So you have to hang on to the things that you can look forward to. So that's what I was talking to her about. So you look at your long range plan, right? For chemo or your treatment or whatever the angst is you have in your life and then plan something wonderful. It can be something as simple as a lunch with somebody or, you know, it doesn't have to be a, you know, trip to wherever it just could be something you want to do. And then in the good times, in the middle of all of it, plan something. So I would go once a month and get a massage. Oh my gosh, it just helped me so much. So there's little things that you can do while the 35 page, you know, term papers hanging over your head. Yeah. It's, you know what I mean? it's really incredible. 
I want to thank you so much for giving us so much time here on the program and for writing your story to help others to get through the challenges in their lives, to go from chaos to clarity. And I encourage people to go to um, sacredstoriespublishing.com and you will be taken right to, uh, as a matter of fact, on that page, boom, Chaos to Clarity is right there. The SoundCloud playlist for Chaos to Clarity is going to be releasing each one of these interviews as they air in January 2020 uh, on this radio station. So we encourage people to uh, watch as those each one of those interviews pops up. And um, I have three final questions for you that I ask all of my guests. And I thank you again. And should you ever find yourself uh, maybe out here in the Santa Barbara area, you know, we'd love to have you in studio to talk more about this and the work that you're doing to help people through a lot of the stuff that they're uh, that they're going through. Well, thank you. I pre- thank you so much for having me on the show. It's been wonderful. You're a joy to talk to. Well, well, thank you very much. The first of the three questions is, who is Connie Bramer? I am a mom, an entrepreneur, a caregiver of people, and a comedian on the side. <laughs> What is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you're doing now? I want to help more cancer patients. I am very much on a mission to have more boots on the ground everywhere in this country, helping cancer patients with everyday needs, such as gas and grocery gift cards, medical co-payment assistance, and helping them pay for electric bills, rent, anything they need financial, because too many patients are having to choose between paying for treatment and paying for things that are vital to their, their existence. And finally, what is your life's purpose? My life's purpose is to leave people better for having known me. I like that. And I like the fact that you have given us so much time and that you've, as again, I said before, written the story and, and have made it a part of chaos to clarity and, um, for the work that you're doing to help folks through those, those trying times. Uh, and it's, it's a mystery to me as to why there is so much of this happening to so many people. Uh, and, and it's like, uh, there was a time when I could say, no, I don't, I don't know anybody. And now it's like, I, I, you know, I can't turn around and um, I know somebody who is dealing with some form, whether it's just a skin melanoma or something like that or, or something even uh, more extreme. So, again, I thank you for the work that you're doing. I really appreciate it. And I thank, thank you very much. And I thank you for listening to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. And until next time, love to love.